This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries, official sponsor of Faction 46 and Nice Motorsports Truck Series teams. Forney offers versatile welding and plasma cutting machines, along with a full line of metalworking accessories for beginners, do-it-yourselfers, and professionals. Forney has everything you need for your next metalworking project. Shop for these top-of-the-line products at ForneyIND.com, that's F-O-R-N-E-Y-I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you. Hey y'all, Rick Houston here, and I want to tell you about my new show, the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I've partnered up with the state of North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources to help uncover the history behind moonshining mountain boys, professional wheelmen, and the backwoods and city lights of the Tar Heel State. In the first episode, I sat down with Winston Kelly at the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a little behind-the-scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills. He's got two things in his hand, pipe wrench and channel lock pliers, and they weren't new. They had been been around the block a time or two. What's the first deal they built, I bet? No, no. I think the the pliers had been red before, but paint had worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, a.k.a. Dr. Daniel Pierce of UNC Asheville, to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenuers. He wrote about one of his experience of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this this souped up car, and he he complained that the government gave him these piece of crap, cheapo cars, and that, that were really no match. But he thought he was doing pretty good, and then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappears. But then the guy makes a bootleg turn uh, and comes back towards him. And as he said, it was a game of chicken, and I was a chicken. And so he ran off the road. And actually, he was the guy who who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy's steal when Junior got tangled up in a a barbed wire fence. So check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast, available on YouTube, DailyDownForce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the Scene Vault Podcast. Hey there, NASCAR fans. Have you got your copy of the latest edition of NASCAR Pole Position Print Magazine? If not, there's no better time than now to subscribe at PolePositionMag.com. NASCAR Pole Position is the only print magazine covering NASCAR. Officially licensed by NASCAR, NASCAR Pole Position Magazine is published throughout the NASCAR season, and each edition is an instant collector's item packed with great feature stories and photography. The magazine is even mailed to you in a poly bag for those who love to collect NASCAR memorabilia. At PolePositionMag.com, you can even find past issues available to purchase. Get your subscription to NASCAR Pole Position and get great NASCAR content delivered straight to your mailbox throughout the season. Learn more at PolePositionMag.com. That's PolePositionMag.com. Hello, my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, your source for all things NASCAR history. Presented by QWare. Maintain excellence. Some would come up and talk, and some you would walk through the garage area, and you know they saw you, but they would turn and walk away. Eventually, you get to a place where you're just not chasing the world. And he told me, he said, I just didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to say it, and I didn't want to confront it because I have a son that makes it. In the true essence of who Kyle Petty is and the way he's lived his life, why wouldn't I have a kid at 59? <laughs> the day NASCAR and all of us associated in any way with NASCAR forget its past, that's the day we don't have any future. Hello, I'm Steve Wade. And my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast presented by QWare. Steve? You got any long underwear? <laughs> Good Lord, I'm cold. I have not gotten... <laughs> this weather thing figured out as many miles as i've walked and i'm still on track for my 5000 by the end of the boy. year i'm hoofing it every morning but yesterday when i walked it was 36 degrees and of course i layered up and i had actually four layers of shirts on so i was just nice and comfy and cozy and warm and everything well this morning i walked it was 46 degrees so i didn't layer up as much 
but it was overcast and the wind was blowing and I just about froze my Royal Rastafarian <laughs> nays off. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I'm down in Daytona. 84 to 85. 84 to shut uh, up. Four or five days in a row. Of course, the rain hit. But uh, then I come back home here to Charlotte, and you talk about a shock. <laughs> the weather's in the low 40s. It had some snow and things of that nature. And... Uh, <laughs> I tell you what, Rick, I don't care if I have to hitchhike. I'm going back to Daytona. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, they are calling for a little bit of snow tomorrow, I believe. So I, I don't know. I hope we get a foot or more. <laughs> that well, would make for a fun walk. Well, up there where you live, a foot or more is just fine. Down here, no. <laughs> I wonder what would happen to Charlotte if it did snow a foot. Good you, night. It would you shut this place find down. You find a loaf of bread or a jug of milk anywhere. <laughs> Go to make a milk sandwich. (laughs) Steve, in our first segment, we are going to run the third and final installment of the interview that we did with Kyle Petty. And Steve, I got to tell you, people are really responding to that because on Twitter yesterday, I thought it was really cool because during the rain delay, Brad Harrison at Brad E. Harrison just tweeted out of the blue during the rain delay said, If you need something to kill time during the rain delay and think that Kyle Petty is only known as Richard's son, a listen to the Scene Vault podcast will blow your mind. How about that? And he's right. He's right. (laughs) Oh, how about that? And then Andy Austin at Andy Austin, Maine, he responded, the race pool story is a top three scene vault moment. (laughs) And you know what? He's right. (laughs) He's absolutely right. But... You know, I just think it's gratifying that people are paying attention and recognize the fact that yeah. the content that we're providing is it's actually a, pretty doggone good. It's proof. I think a lot of fans are very, very interested in NASCAR's past and hearing the inside stories of the past. The is story really behind good. the story. That's a yes, more one. than one person has mentioned that. Now, this week, Kyle talks about breaking his leg so severely in 1991, and the way that he put it was kind of humbling. He yeah. said, Basically, if he could still breathe and could still talk and still respond, he was going to get back in the car. Yeah. And then he talks about the 1992, the Winston All-Star Race, the one, one the that we, everybody remembers. Oh, yeah. One of the best ever that will be on the highlight reel forever and ever and ever. And then finally, he did talk about Dale Earnhardt's reaction after we lost Adam. Yeah. And then, of course, the scene there on pit road before the 2001 Daytona 500 when they wound up hugging. Right. You know, so I thought that was pretty special. Yeah. And then in our second segment, I couldn't exactly figure out what issue to feature as our issue of the week. So I went into one of the boxes that Jamie Bishop gave us, and I just picked one out at random. Oh. <laughs> just went to the middle of the stack, bottom of the stack, and just picked one out completely at random. Wound up with the July 21st, 1994 issue of Winston Cup Scene. Jeff Bodine wins at Pocono, and it's his first points win after buying his team from the estate of Alan Kowicki. It's also the first win for Hoosier Tires in their return to the sport. And also in this issue, there was just this fantastic freelance piece written about Dick Beatty. I mean, I was just stunned by the quality of this effort. Oh, get off of <laughs> You hired me. Uh, I admit it was pretty good, but... Uh, it, it was a fit of temporary insanity. <laughs> <laughs> also this week, Brad Harrison, oh, he of the Kyle Petty tweet, he not only tweeted about us this week. He also increased his support on Patreon. Howdy boy, Brad. Thank you very much, Brad. So support us on Patreon, support us on PayPal. Please support QWare. Please support Brian Kelb. We are almost back to even on our Patreon support. We lost a little bit of ground in December and January. I think we lost five patrons altogether and we've picked up three. So we'd need a couple yeah. more to kind of even the We're playing field back. again. If you could, please help us out. Do $5 a month. Do $10 a month. 20 50 You guys know the benefits, the commemorative issue of Grand National Scene, the classic issues of Winston Cup Scene, the Steve Wade Tracks rookie card. Steve, we did have some movement on that front. Oh, We that? just have two left. Two left. We have two left. 
Time is running out. So if we can find a couple of suckers, I mean patrons, (laughs) we can get rid of those things. And also the Scene Vault podcast jacket. So, and also Chris Wolf will be picking up his jacket here this week because it will be ready this week and he will be getting that jacket. And Steve, not only does he want the jacket, he wants us to autograph it. Oh, you got to be kidding me. He wants us to autograph he has seen Vault Podcast. All right, Chris, we are going to do it. And I said, listen, <laughs> if you're willing to help us out, we will get your jacket signed. Absolutely. <laughs> so help us out on Patreon, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the Scene Vault Podcast, or on PayPal if you would rather just do a one-time show of support. You can do that at paypal.me slash the same vault podcast. Nineteen ninety one Talladega, you break your leg oh, pretty yeah. pretty badly. Was there ever a point where you considered maybe hanging your helmet up and picking the guitar up? No. No. You know what? And and I I'm gonna I've I have I th- I've thought about this a lot, um, and I think you think about things different when you, when you listen. And let me put it this way: sitting at this end of this table, and we're sitting at a long table for these people listening. Sitting at this end of the table, the table looks different than if I go to that end and look backwards. And looking back on my life and this sport, then. When, when the wreck happened, I have to go back to Friday Hassler and Larry Smith and so many guys that I had seen be killed at a racetrack. My Uncle Randy on Pitt Road, um, Dave Watson uh, in the accident and, and his Jackman at, at Atlanta. So you grew up, I grew up, and, and I, by no stretch, by no stretch of the imagination, <laughs> do I? Do I? I'll just say that I was not. I was always in my mind. If you, if you could walk, if, maybe not walk, but if you could talk and you were breathing when they pulled you out, you just got back in it at some point in time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the way it was because death was a part of through the '60s and and on into the '70s and stuff. Death was just a part of the sport. You know, and it wasn't something a lot of people talked about. But when you're seven or eight and you're playing with kids in the infield and then their father is killed and you never see those kids again, it has an impact. Wow. You know what I mean? I mean, you don't you don't think about it at that time, yeah. but eventually it begins to set in. And, you know, I, I think there were a lot of times, man, where you'd see Rex as a kid and you'd think, oh, oh, and then they would get out and it's like okay that's good well you know you shouldn't have to think that way at seven or eight years old <laughs> you know what yeah, i mean yeah i mean yeah. people shouldn't and but you do so i i think when the accident happened man i could i could talk you know i could breathe um i knew i had a broke leg i'd had plenty of broke bones i rode motorcycles my whole life i'd have <laughs> had lots of broke bones so i yeah. knew bones would heal you know and um i was i was stunned that it was going to be five or six months you know and and or maybe longer according uh, to the doctor, but uh, because I hadn't thought about that, but I never thought about not getting back in a race car. The 1992 Winston All Star Race. You are a part of NASCAR history because it's one of the most memorable finishes ever. What do you remember about that finish in the last lap? Here's what happened I mean, the last lap's in- incredibly simple for me. Um, is um, we had a good car. And but it could it wouldn't go. It took a lap or two to get it going, but it had a really good car. Was not good in the first segment, and Robin made an adjustment in the second segment, and it came to life. And they dropped the green flag on the last segment, and I don't even know how many what what laps how many laps there were. And anyhow, but I could kill him through one and two, and I got a good run on Earnhardt through one and two, and got down below him, and he just kept coming, and he kept coming, and he kept coming, and he kept coming, and, he kept coming, and, he kept coming, and you know. It's not a points race. 
<laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, that's all I remember as much as anything else. It's not a points race. So if, if we're going to stuff it in down here, we'll just stuff it in down here. So when we got there, he, we both had to slow down and swing out to go around the corner. We weren't coming from the natural position of off the wall into the corner. You had to go from the bottom back out and then get into the corner. And when he turned into the corner, his car was just loose, and he just spun around. When he spun, he spun right in front of me, so I had to slow down again. So then here comes Davey. And Davey's coming at a full head of steam. I'm already on the low side, and he's coming so fast there is no blocking. You know what I mean? And for all you people out there, nobody blocked in those days, okay? (laughs) It was extremely frowned upon. And, you know, so you give him the lane, and he beats you back to the line, but you're, you're doing all you can. And then we hit, we touch when we, when we pass the line. And I will say it until the day I die, is I compare that moment when I realized that we had touched to watching a 100-yard dash and watching runners stretch for the line and then fall. You know what I mean? You, you give everything you've got, and once you cross the line, that's it. And when we crossed the line, we touched, and, you know, and it was ugly. Davey hit hard, really hard. Um, I don't think, and I've said it too. You know, he called me on Tuesday. I talked, talked to him Monday, and then he called me back on Tuesday or so. He was still in the hospital, I think, and um, maybe it was Monday, and um, wanted me to drive his bush car. <laughs> um and uh and the, because he wasn't going to be able to run right. run yeah. the Saturday race but you know the ugly manufacturer thing had begun to raise its head by that point in time in the sport and you couldn't get out of one manufacturer into another one without them frowning on it so um I didn't have it. so we never had any hard feelings that what I what I've said and 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 Larry McReynolds has said it and and those of us that are left um um is you talk about that race, and people still talk about that race, but you talk about the race. You don't talk about a fight. You don't talk about people cussing each other. You, you talk about the race. Right. Because there were never any hard feelings between anybody that went through it. From Robert Yates to Doug Yates to Larry McReynolds to Davey to Bobby to me to Felix to Earnhardt to Childress to, to everybody involved, there was, it was just a race. You know what I mean? And then we all went home and we came back the next week. And that's the way it was. That, that's, to me, that's as, as telling a moment as any other moment when we look. Because you, you want to argue about the pass in the grass that never was a pass. No. Or you want to argue about Rusty and those guys and, you know, Spin and, and Daryl. And, but we, there just wasn't an argument. It was just a race. 1993 Daytona 500. How are you going to be giving Bobby Hillen a hard time like that? Oh, it's easy. Yeah. How how are you going to give Bobby Hillen the nicest because, person that ever walked in that garage? That listen, there's lots of nice people that shouldn't be in race cars. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. That's you're hurting here, first. <laughs> no, Bobby is a great guy. Here's why I was mad at Bobby, and 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 the only reason I was mad at Bobby is because Bobby the wreck had happened. We were coming through, and if you go back, we were coming through, and Bobby should, in my opinion, still to this day, should have held his brake and not let the car roll down the front stretch because he let the car, until all the cars had passed, he should have, he should have held his brake because nobody was coming hard after that. So he just rolled down in front of us. So that's why I gave Bobby a hard time. He said that you actually sent him a letter the next week? Might have. Probably did. Okay. I don't uh, know. We've talked about it okay. a million times. yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's before they people text, I guess. Yeah, okay. All right. Consider that a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in 92 and 93, you finished fifth in yeah. points. Yeah. Both years. That's got to be an upscale feeling. The mood on the team has got to be uh, pretty high, given that. Yeah. But we'd had, you know, if we go back, you know, we'd changed from Gary to Robin, and the sport was changing. Um, things, Some things were changing. And... um you know, I was what mid thirties by then. Yeah, and um, so I, I think there was a lot of stuff, a, a lot of stuff changing. If we go back to those those times, but and and we were good, we were good. We just could not seem to catch that. 
you'd have we had a lot of good second place, third place, fourth place. Just could not beat Mark and Dale and those guys. I mean, just couldn't beat them. That's a, that's listen. And I've said it before. Everybody's not Dale Earnhardt. Everybody's not Richard Petty. Everybody's not Jeff Gordon. You know what I mean? And um, it, I'm a journeyman. I, I, I consider myself a journeyman driver. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the way it was. I won some races, sat on some poles, had a good career. That's the way it is. But, um, you know, we just couldn't we, – we just got to a place. And, you know, and, and that, that's about as far as we were going to go. That's about as far as we were going to go. I, I think it was going to take – it was going to take a better driver – for them to win more races, or it was going to take a, a shakeup somewhere. But dang, man, we all got along so good. Yeah, it was like I don't care if you don't like our music, we're going to keep playing it. You know, what <laughs> I mean? it, was, it was that kind of thing. If you were in a band, you know what I mean. Yeah. we don't care if anybody comes because we just got along. Everybody just got along so good. So, um, and then you know that began to fall apart, and um, Barry came over, and you know I won my last race there with Barry Dodson and. And Keith Simmons and those guys, and um, you know, it was just a different group towards the end. You did leave Sabco at the end of '96. Yeah. How difficult a decision was that? Crazy story. Crazy story. Coming from Kyle Petty. Yep. No way. Yeah. This, this may be one of the, one of my crazier stories. Um, so I'm I'm 36. Okay. Adam's 16. All right. And I had looked at. I looked at, at my dad. I, I had gone back and looked at his his early career um, and where he was at, um, and my and my granddad. And he, here's what happened: my granddad started Lee Petty Engineering. That's what it was called, and then it went to Petty Enterprises. So when my dad came along, that's where he drove. Okay, so you know, fast forward from '58 to. Um, from 58 to 79, and that's where I drove. So here I am driving for Felix, working out of Charlotte, and I got a 16-year-old coming along, and I got no place for him to drive, no place for him to start. So in my mind, I thought I need, I got I to gotta either go back to Level Cross, and that was not an option at that time, um, with what, what Petty Enterprises was doing, when I think Bobby was there, was Bobby Hamilton there? I think I, so. I think yeah. Bobby might have been there. You know, and they were having some success. They were they were running solid. So I didn't have a, an opportunity to go back there. Uh, I didn't think. Um, so we're flying home on an airplane, and there's a group of us on the airplane. We're with Felix, and we're sitting there, and um, there's a gentleman on the airplane that's, and he says, he's, we're talking about a bunch of stuff, and. You know, Felix has Felix has been a little upset because we hadn't been running too too good, and this gentleman that's on the plane says, um, "You know, I think this is going to be. I'm I'm, I'm going to have to go get another job. I'm going to go. So I'm going to I'll finish out, or you tell me when you want me to leave, and let's just I'm going to call it a day here at Sabco. And Felix got a little he was a little upset, and he looked straight at me. I'll never forget, he looked straight at me. He said, I guess you'll be the next one that quit. And I said, yeah, I think I'm quitting too. And I said, I'll go through the end of the year and then I'm out. And he said, what? It and was I, that quick a decision? Yeah, I was just sitting on a plane. I was wow. sitting on a plane. And like I said, the thought of giving Adam a place had already come, had yeah. already entered my head. So it wasn't, so I quit. Quit on an airplane. And <laughs> at least... Thank God they didn't have parachutes. I was going to say. <laughs> so quit on an airplane. Me and this, the other guy, I'm not going to say who it is. This is up to him to ever say. And um, we instantly uh, started looking for how to start a team. And I started my own team, PE2. PE2. Yeah, found Hot Wheels. Yeah. Where was that based out of? Uh, the old Raymock shop. Okay. Yeah, we used the old Raymock shop. Bob was still there. Raheely, he was, I'd see him every day, man. And um, so um, over towards Concord... Speedway. Yeah. And um, so we raced out of there, and it was David Evans and Billy Woodruff and myself and um, Bobby Kennedy, who did a great job for us. Great job. And that year, you know, we run, I think we run 14th or 15th in points that year, and I was incredibly proud uh, of that group um, and what we did that year. And um, I'd, 
at the end of that year, I think we run one year out of there, and then I moved it back to Level Cross. Um, and then when Adam started with his Xfinity stuff, I turned PE2 into an Xfinity team, a Bush team, um, and gave him a place to drive. And then I had planned on um, – that's, that's just the way it was going to go. Um, we were going to run – we run out of there for, what, a couple of years. I run one year – one year out of, out of Raymock, I think, and then went back to Level Cross and run a couple of years there, which takes me to, what, 97, 98, 99, right along in there, 2000, right along in there. So that's it. Kyle, everything happened with Adam. Yeah. And you told me this amazing story about you and Dale Earnhardt during the 24 hours hours. of Daytona. Yeah. Um, What do you remember about that night? Yeah. You know, I've said this before, um, and and I'll go back to one step here, is – in my mind, when I started this team, when I left Felix and started this team, my goal was to build this team. And then by, by 2000, 2001, um, then 2000, 2000, 2001 was going to be my last year. I wasn't going to drive anymore um, because I didn't want my career to overlap too deep into Adam's career and back to my dad and my career where we were in the same place for so long together that financially it wasn't going to be feasible. Only one of us could survive. I wanted Adam to survive. So that's why that's where we were at. So when Adam's accident happened, um, it is amazing, and I mentioned it earlier, at the fans and how the fans, the outpouring from fans and, 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 and people like that was amazing. And it was also... In some ways, it was strange to watch the way the NASCAR community reacted, um, because I don't really think they knew what to, some knew what to say or would come up and talk. And some you would walk through the garage area and you know they saw you, but they would turn and walk away. And Earnhardt was one of those guys that would would come out of the bathroom, and if he came out of the bathroom and saw you, he would instantly go back in the bathroom or duck in between a truck so that he wouldn't have to talk to you. And, and it was just, I mean, but that, and I understood that. I did understand that. You know what I mean? I totally understood it. It's not, it's not a criticism. Um, and Mark Martin was exactly the opposite. You know, Mark was a guy no that, would, that would talk wow. to you. You know what I mean? So that was exactly the, so it was just, it was strange to watch. But you got to know that when another, when another driver has an accident and when another driver is killed, it, each driver deals with it strange. It's a, drivers are strange people in, in the first place, but, I mean, they deal with it different. So, anyhow, we're running a 24-hour race. There, he and, I think he and Junior are running the Corvette, um, and I'm running with Leo Hendry and running a little Porsche, and we're having a good time. And it, it was a lot of fun. Anyhow, one night, had to be one thirty, two o'clock in the morning, we find ourselves walking back through the garage area. Um, I'm walking back through the garage area, and I see him. And... I just ran up to him, and I'm like, "Yeah, we're gonna talk. <laughs> How you, you didn't doing? Have any way of How you doing? Yeah, it was wow. no, there was no, okay. not yeah. not at that time in the morning in that in that garage area. How you doing? You know what I mean? And you know, and, and he all but broke down. And we went over and, and sat beside his bus, um, in the bus lot. And he told me, he said, "I just couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to say it, and I didn't want to confront it because I have a son that races." And it hit way too close to home, yeah. way too close to home. And he said, the, 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 every time I knew that I should say something, I just couldn't bring myself to say anything. And it, it's funny that, and, and strange, that as we go back to that race for the, the 500, um, and I'm standing, and, and we're standing out on the which would have been 2001, and we're standing out at driver introduction. Then he comes over and hugs me, and there's a picture of it somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he comes, and we're both crying. And I mean, and he's got tears in his eyes. Um, and he has the advantage because he wears sunglasses like my dad. But <laughs> um, but we were both crying, and it was a very very emotional moment, especially the way that race transpired. Um, but I I just don't. He just couldn't. He he didn't find. He couldn't make peace with it, you know what I mean? And that's okay, you know, because everybody deals with grief different. Everybody deals with stuff different. But in the end, um, it's the one I remember probably as much or more than any of them. 
Kyle, with all that being said, before we started recording, I think you were spending some time oh, yeah. with this new little boy. Yeah, with Overton. With yeah. Overton. What does having him mean you know, to your life? It's different. Um, it, it I got to ask the blunt question. Do you ever expect? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, yeah, but hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let's, let's go back. Let's go back. <laughs> I mean, I know. Let's I... go back to this question. Kyle, you went to Daytona and you'd never been in a race car before. What? What was that all about? You know what I mean? So in the true essence of who Kyle Petty is and the way he's lived his life, why wouldn't I have a kid at 59? <laughs> okay? Okay. I mean, let's right. be honest. Yeah. It, yeah I mean, yeah. there it fits like a glove. Yeah. You know what I mean? To somebody else, you look at it and you think, well, that's strange. But you look at Kyle and you think, yeah, that's about right. That's about right. <laughs> you know, I, I tell you what it does do. Um, and, and and we've all been through this. When When – because our younger days are behind us. But when you're young, and we go back to being 18 and 10 foot tall and invincible, and when you're young, life is all about you. It's all about True. how much money can I make, how many girls can I impress, how many fast cars can I have, what can I do, you know, me, me, me. Okay? I, I think you get to a place... Eventually, you get to a place where you're just not chasing the world. You know what I mean? You're just not chasing it. And then when you have a child, then the world comes back to you. You don't have to chase it. So I think the importance of what time is and giving time and being able to spend time is totally different. And obviously, um, you know, Austin and Montgomery Lee are, are older, and I have grandkids. And... But I look back, and sometimes um, um, you're almost, you almost, you do the best you can for your kids. And I did the best I could for Adam and Austin and Montgomery Lee. But then you look at Overton, and it's like, it's totally different. I never gave Austin and Montgomery Lee enough time because you were out busting your butt trying to make a living. Right. And, you know, it's, it's that old stupid saying where you know you should have wisdom and money when you're young you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that yeah. so that you can do that for your kids yeah. you know what i mean because you realize that when you're older that it's it's just it's totally different so he i mean he and morgan both are have been a huge healing part and a huge bright spot um in my life for sure is there going to come a point where he starts to play ball or act or sing or whatever that you might consider getting off the road, or nah. is he going to be tagging along? No, he'll just tag. He'll have to tag. <laughs> That's the way. It, you know what? Yeah, it's it's funny because, um, and and, I, and and I've said this a thousand times. Bear Bryant was a football coach, and one day they fired him, and they sent him home, and he sat down in the chair and he passed away. Yeah because he didn't have football anymore. And Richard Petty was a race car driver who went to the racetrack every weekend. And one day they told him, you can't race, but you can still go to the racetrack. And I honestly believe that's the only thing that keeps him alive, is if you told Richard Petty he couldn't go back to the racetrack, I think he'd sit down in the chair and he'd just pass away. And we go back to your question to me, which was how... You know, who do you remember racing? You know what I mean? It's just always been a part of my life. So for me, it is, I can't imagine not going somewhere. I guess you've heard this in the past, and I'd like to perpetuate it. <laughs> you are Racing's Renaissance man, a man <laughs> of all talents. Uh, how do you think about that? Do you? No, I, I don't. Here's what I think. See, and, and, I, and I love the way you put it as a Renaissance man. Because my dad puts it, jack of all trades, master of none. Um, <laughs> so if that constitutes a renaissance man, then that is me up one side and down there. You know what? It is, and I have said this, I've said this my whole life, and you know this because we've, we've talked, is I don't, my dad's 82, be 83. And I don't want to be 83 and look back and say, you know, man, one time I had a chance to do that, 
and I didn't. I want to be that guy that, A, has the whitest legs in the nursing home. That's my first goal. Um, and B, looks back and says, remember that time I rode a bull in Texas? Remember that time I jumped out of an airplane? Remember that time I, I opened for Hank Jr.? Or you did, you know, or you did something, you know what I mean? Yeah. Rem- remember that. That, that that's, that's who I want to be because you only get one shot. So if you only get one shot, then you got to take the most with you and you got to live the most. Um, I just not, I've never been, the knock has always been focus on one thing. I could never focus on one thing. I was always off doing a million things and I'll be 60 this year and that's not changed. Hey listeners, this is Eric Quinn, General Manager of QWare. We are so proud to partner with Rick and Steve and the Seaton Vault Podcast in order to bring you these great shows that you're hearing every single week. For over 30 years, the Seaton was the only place you needed to go to find the NASCAR content and news that you needed and wanted. The most talented writers, the greatest photographers in all sports made the Seaton the ultimate source for NASCAR information. At QWare, we've taken that same philosophy and applied it to our online maintenance management system, one source one solution that provides you with all of the information you need to get the job done. At QWare, we know that every building, every campus, every factory, school, shop, museum, healthcare facility, every office, every building, it it all needs to be maintained. If the information your facilities team needs to keep your building up and running isn't at their fingertips, then you're probably losing time and money. QWare allows your maintenance team to access the important information from anywhere in the world with just a push of a button. As proud as we are to help bring you the Scene Vault podcast, we at QWare are just as proud to provide the most simple-to-use, inexpensive cloud maintenance solution on the market today. We would be honored to have you look at QWare and see what we can do for your workplace. Now enjoy the rest of this week's podcast, and when you get a minute, check us out at qwarecmms.com forward slash scene. That's qwarecmms.com forward slash scene. QWare is a product of the CNS companies. QWare. Maintain excellence. Steve, you weren't on the podcast last week, but when we did do this interview with Kyle Petty and the part that we talked about last week, <laughs> there was at least one part of the interview that left you and I both kind of speechless. And you were I'd looking at so. me and I, I was looking at you and you actually made the comment. I don't know if race fans need to hear this. <laughs> but what did you think about Kyle talking about his first win at Richmond and the story behind well, the story? Well, the story behind the story, which is the pool. Yeah, the race which pool. Is, which is gambling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, I'd not heard that part of the story no. ever. Yeah. And uh, when Kyle told it, like you said, we just could, could hardly believe it. <laughs> I mean, when he was running fifth at the time, he was in a position to win the pool. Yeah. He thought that was yeah. great. And the caution comes out. And all of a sudden, <laughs> he's racing to the front. <laughs> and half of them is saying, this is great. You're going to win the race. And the other half says, hey, you're losing money. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, that was a story behind the story that I had never heard about. But that is just the cool thing about Kyle. He doesn't care. He's just going to be Kyle. And let everybody else think what they're going to think. Exactly. So, yeah, that was a really cool story. But then, Steve, in this week's installment of the interview, he talks about the broken leg that he sustained at Talladega in 1991. There was some controversy about that event. You know, a lot of people were pointing fingers at Ernie Irvin for uh, kind of triggering the crash. It was the first time, by the way. (laughs) But he did very, very, very severely break his leg and... I don't know that he had ever dealt with that kind of thing. It's certainly not to that extent No, before. not that extent. And he knew it. As soon as that accident was over and he's sitting there in his battered car, the first thing he says over the radio is, my leg is broken. He yeah. knew it right away. To put it the way that he did, he said that he had actually been in situations where as a kid he would be playing with kids in the infield and then the next week they wouldn't be there because their daddies had been hurt right. very severely or obviously killed and he mentioned several basically what he was getting at was the fact that in his mind if you could breathe and you could move you were going to get back in the race car there wasn't any issue yeah there was no question that you're going to get back in the race car 
And then that was 1991, 1992, <laughs> the Winston All-Star Race. And, Steve, that is a race that will always, 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 always live on in our memories as long as there is an All-Star Race right. because that was an iconic finish. Oh, yeah, under the lights. Under the lights, and the it, first year that's under right, the lights. That's right. And that finish ended up being between Kyle and Davey Allison. And they wrecked at the start-finish line as the flag was waving. Yeah. And Davey hit the wall so hard, it knocked him out. Yes. He was the winner and didn't know it. Yeah. Didn't go to victory lane. He went to the hospital. Right. And that last lap, there was so much going on that last lap. Coming off turn two, Dale Earnhardt (laughs) (laughs) decides that he wants a Coca-Cola from the concession stand in Anfield, and he takes Kyle to the Anfield. Right down there with him. Let's go get a Coke. (laughs) Here they are, going down. But when they get to turn three, I mean, they're all but on the apron. But you can't hold it. Down yeah, there. you can't. You can't make that turn. And Earnhardt wound up spinning his car between turns three and four. Kyle had to check up. That allowed Davy to get a run on him coming right. off turn four. And the cover photo on the next week's issue of Winston Cup scene captured not only Davy and Kyle door to door, but it captured Earnhardt spinning in the the distance in the background yeah so that was a great shot and then they came off turn four and they were beating and they were banging and kyle actually made the analogy he said when we crossed the finish line made contact and davy wrecked he said that was basically like two runners finishing a race and both falling down from the effort right and steve i would assume that you were in the press box so this happened right under you right and the thing that I remember was I thought both of them absolutely took the checkered flag side by side, so much so that we were all trying to figure out actually who won the race. Yeah. But yeah. didn't have time to do that. We might have thought it, but we sure didn't talk about it because the next thing we knew, Davey was in the wall hard and bounced off that wall and spun across the track. And that changed our thinking completely from who won the race to, gosh, I hope Davey is all right. At that point, who won didn't exactly matter. Yeah. Yeah. Then we go to the Daytona 500 in 1993, and this is what Bobby Hillen had to say about this incident. Well, first of all, you know, that was a great race for us. I think I was the only Ford that passed Dale Earnhardt under green flag conditions for the lead of the race earlier in the race. We were running really well, and Dale Earnhardt, and Al Unser Jr. get into a crash in front of me and take me out. And when he, when I got hit, it ripped my right front corner of the car off. And again, Junie Dunlovey's team was running what they call just a, a one master cylinder brake system. So all of my all four brakes were tied to one master cylinder. So that when I ripped one wheel off, not only did I not have any steering, I didn't have any brakes. Pushed all the brake fluid out of it, and I had no brakes, no steering. So I go through the trial through the grass, backed up across the track, and hit the wall. Well, Kyle was in the back at that time and had plenty of, you know, plenty of opportunity to, you know, slow down. But for whatever reason, you know, spotter, you don't know why, you know, he comes, he comes through the trial and hits me and he crawls out of the car. And I thought he was going to, I'm just sitting there after the crash, just disappointed about everything that happened. Normally when two guys crash, a lot of times a guy will reach up and say, you're okay. And when Kyle, you know, kind of walked across the hood of his car and leaned into my car, I was expecting him to say, hey, are you okay? And instead he said, why did you not keep your foot on the effing brake? I just sat there for a second and said, what? And I just, no, no, I'm no, I'm going to go explain to him. This is baloney. And so, you know, I chase him down and we get into this deal where we're just, you know, grabbing each other and. (laughs) Yeah. You know, whatever, and you know, you know, it's funny. I think about that all the time. And like, <laughs> you know, people say, "Oh man, I hit this guy, and I, re- I so regret I shouldn't have punched this guy." <laughs> I'm kind of thinking back, man, I should have punched him. <laughs> 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 but, but I'm just kidding. It was funny. Kyle wrote me the nicest apology letter. Did he really? Yeah. I mean, and people don't know that. Yeah. But Kyle wrote me the nicest apology letter, handwritten letter, put it in the mail. You know, and, and it was no big deal after that. But, uh, but yeah, at the time, I think we were both pretty frustrated. How long after that did you get the letter? Like the next week. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 
Oh, that's pretty cool. That's another thing I didn't know. That's pretty awesome. So when we sat down with Kyle, he's still on the brake issue. He says that Bobby should have remained on the brakes and everything. So basically, you've got two stories. Exactly. And you usually do in situations like this. Here's a question for you. Who do you think was in the right? I don't. I think that Kyle has a good point about the brake. But when you're in a situation where you've been knocked off the track, Dale Earnhardt, Al Unser Jr., they were involved in this as well. As a matter of fact, they triggered it. And that involved Bobby Hillen when he went down to the inside of the track. Well, he can do one of two things. And we've seen drivers do both. Either slide further toward the pit wall, or all of a sudden that car makes a sharp right-hand turn and shoots back up against the track. Seen them both. So I'm not sure that Bobby had much control. Now, if he was able to exercise any control, the fact that he didn't do it might be something that would upset Kyle. But on the other hand, I'm not sure Bobby did. I know I'm not really taking sides here, but that's the situation. And uh, Well, to Bobby's point, though, he didn't have any breaks. Well, that's so, by betting no control. Yeah. Yeah, so... So maybe then Bobby wasn't at fault, and it was an unfortunate accident. I remember Kyle saying one time before that when he and Bobby were jawing about it, it wasn't Kyle that was saying anything. Yeah. He said, Bobby was doing all the talking. I kept telling him to shut up, shut up, <laughs> shut up. So, Hey, you better be nice. Bobby Hillen has already challenged you to a few rounds in the boxing ring. I'm not getting in a boxing ring with Bobby Hillen. <laughs> Well, darn. (laughs) Steve, all good things must come to an end sooner or later, and Kyle winds up quitting Team Sabco during a flight on Felix's plane. Steve, what do you think happened? I think it was a culmination of an entirely poor season Yeah, in 96. Now, Kyle had won five times in Felix's cars from 1990 through 95. In 1996, they ended up with no wins and only two top 10 finishes so you can see the production has dwindled and that may have been the driving force because kyle and felix probably didn't see eye to eye as to why this production was falling off kyle talked about how he was going to leave sabco in order to prepare a place for adam to race right and so much effort went into that and adam eventually stepped up to the Bush Series, and I covered his career. I covered all but one of his starts in the Bush Series. Then to have May 12th, the year 2000, happen. I've talked before on this podcast about how I had a career up until that date, and then I had a career at Winston Cup scene after that. It was sometimes tough to go to the racetrack Mm -hmm. because you just didn't know what could happen. Exactly. Then he talked about the reaction that Dell Earnhardt had. I talked to him for the book that I've written on the 2001 Daytona 500. It has not been published yet. Uh, I've got a few things in the works, but nothing's confirmed yet. But when I talked to him, he told me a story about himself and Dell Earnhardt running the 24 hours of Daytona in 2001. And he said that Earnhardt would make every effort in the world not to talk to him. And he said that at Daytona, they were pulling one of the overnight shifts and they both happened to get out of the car at about the same time, walking back to the motor coach lot, and they basically ran into each other. And Kyle said, we're going to talk. And it was at that point where Dale told him, he said, I didn't know what to say. And it was also a pretty precarious situation for me because I have a son right, that, right. that races. So I think they kind of came to a detente after that. Not that they were in disagreement, but they kind of came together. Right. And Kyle knew what was going on and everything. And then on pit road, before the 2001 Daytona 500, Kyle said that he was standing there and he was thinking about what might have been, mm-hmm. what should have been. Right. This was yeah. going to be Adam's first race in the Daytona 500. This was supposed to be the start of a new era at Petty Enterprises. He was not ashamed in saying that he had tears in his eyes. And then here comes Earnhardt, and Earnhardt kind of hugged him and said, it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's going to be okay. That is really something. That Probably, is a yeah. side to Dale Earnhardt. 
that most people, even his fans, never saw. That photo is one of the best I've ever seen because of what we know happened mm-hmm. and what we know had yeah. happened. He obviously has been remarried to Morgan. Morgan's a great person. You and I both yeah. met her uh, when we went to interview Kyle. And now Kyle has a new son in Overton. Now, what do you think Overton means to Kyle? You just said it. Kyle Petty can now say, I have a son to love, and he's here with me. Kind of tying this up in a bow, what do you think Kyle's legacy in the sport is? How will he be remembered? I, You know, I've said this before, but I think it's very true. I think that Kyle will be remembered as a renaissance man in NASCAR. He was so multifaceted. He could drive race cars. He could win races, but he also was a musician. He also created one of the most successful charities in this country, the Victory Junction Camp. And who was that for? Disabled children. He did that. He could ride motorcycles with a charity ride across America. Another unique achievement. And, of course, as we well know, he can do radio and he can do television. I think the multifaceted Kyle Petty is the one I will always remember, and I think that's true for many, many fans as well. He was not one single individual, just one single talent. He was a single individual with many talents. Steve, when we talked to Kyle, he said that he simply does not remember a time when racing was not a part of his life. Right. And that's one thing. But on the flip side of that coin is the fact that once he started racing, from day one, he was going to be compared to Richard Petty. And I will always say that I think that that's an unfair comparison. I believe it's unfair to compare anybody to Richard Petty. It's unfair to compare Dale Earnhardt and Jimmy Johnson to Richard Petty. True. You can't do it because they grew up in different eras. Same thing for Dale Jr. and his father. Yes, absolutely. The same thing. But if you notice the one thing about Dale Jr., he too is his own man. Yes. He too is multifaceted. Yes. He is multi-talented. He he can win races, win the Bush Series championships. By the same token, he can invest his time and money in a string of restaurants. And he's great on television, just like Kyle is. You know, things like that make him different from his father, which have same things have made Kyle different from his father. Yeah. If you ask me, Kyle and Dale Jr. are more alike than they are in comparison to their fathers. Steve, this last week, Brian Kelb posted pictures of some things in his inventory. A Kale Yarbrough t-shirt. <laughs> I've never seen that one. Come on, man. <laughs> he basically has a museum in his inventory, and it's available for anybody who wants to pick it up. So follow Brian Kelb on Instagram and Twitter at Speedway Screens, at Speedway Screens, and check out his inventory at Speedway, T-S-J-dot-E-T. SY.com. Rambo, that one's for you. Steve, as I said in the intro, I couldn't figure out an issue to kind of focus on for our issue of the week. So I just kind of pulled one out at random. The July 21st, 1994 issue of Winston Cup scene, the cover story is on Jeff Bodine winning the Miller Genuine Draft 500 at Pocono. It was his first official right. points win yeah, he, as a team owner after buying the team from Alan Kowicki's estate. He had also won that year's All-Star race right. a, a few weeks before. So this was his first points win, and it was also Hoosier's first win since the 1989 Daytona 500 when Daryl Waltrip stretched his fuel mileage so far a really long way <laughs> to win. And Steve, I don't remember Daryl being on Hoosiers that day, but no, evidently he was. I'll be honest with you, I don't remember that either. And here at Pocono, <laughs> he didn't just win. He pretty much obliterated the competition. <laughs> he led seven times for a total of 156 of the event's 
200 laps. And that actually broke his own record for most laps led at Pocono. He had led 154 laps back in 1985. I think that 156 laps led still stands as the cup record at Pocono. Yeah, yeah. Well, it would be hard to beat, that's for sure. (laughs) And then I can just imagine the furious reaction that it would get on social media. Oh, gosh. (laughs) But... Nine different drivers led this race, and four of them were on Hoosiers. Together, these four drivers that were on Hoosiers led for a total of 183 laps. Goodyear drivers led just 17 laps that day. Well, quite a day for Hoosier, wouldn't you say? Yes, it was. In all, the first four drivers that day were all on Hoosiers. You had Jeff, the winner, had runner-up Ward Burton, then Joe Nemechek, and then Jeff Burton, who finished fourth, They were all on Hoosiers. And Jeff said in this story, he said, hopefully this will silence a lot of critics about Bob Newton and Hoosier getting back into Winston Cup racing and my decision to run Hoosier. But I really wasn't worried about it. (laughs) I don't care what people say. (laughs) That may be the most Jeff Bodine quote ever. (laughs) Of course, when you win the race, you can say, I don't care what people say. (laughs) But Jeff went on to say, we aren't idiots. We knew it would take Bob Newton and his people a while. We didn't know how long to develop his tire. And we were willing to sacrifice some races to do that. It's an investment. We're investing in the future, and it's paying off now. Well, certainly that was a true statement of Pocono for Jeff and for Hoosier just as well. And Steve, the inaugural Brickyard 400 was coming up at Indianapolis, and that's a flat track, a lot like Pocono. And after Hoosier dominated like it did here at Pocono, how concerned do you think Goodyear was at the time? Well, probably not overly concerned because Goodyear had seen this before. And even when Goodyear and Hoosier were in their tire wars, Hoosier won some races, and Goodyear knew that. And so I don't think they were really panicking at all. As a matter of fact, Jeff Gordon did win that inaugural Brickyard 400, and he was on Goodyear's. And Steve, again, we've said it before, I'll say it again, these issues provide so much detail, so much background that we just don't remember. The rundown on Racing Reference will always show that Jeff Bodine won this race. Right. Will always show that he pretty much dominated it, pretty much stunk up the show. (laughs) But there's a notebook item in this issue (laughs) And some pretty heated words were exchanged after the race by Ted Musgrave and Derek Cope after they made contact on lap 20, sending Ted into the wall. Now, this was a difference of opinion here. Big time. Derek had been fired by Kel Yarbrough Motorsports the week before, and he was making his first start for team owner T.W. Taylor. Well, Derek got fired by Kel Yarbrough, okay? Yes, Kale Yarbrough hired Jeremy Mayfield. Yes, he did. Yeah. And he hired Jeremy Mayfield from the T.W. Taylor team. <laughs> so they made a kind of a swap. A swap yeah. 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 So Ted Musgrave said, I can see why Kale got rid of his driver. Ooh. I don't know what is wrong with Derek. He just keeps running into people and putting them out. We were in single file going into turn three, and the guy up front checked up a little bit, and everybody just went in a little slow. But the last car in line, that was Derek. <laughs> I love I love that little dig. The last car in line. <laughs> oh, that was Derek. <laughs> that was Derek. He must not have noticed that we were slowing down. He flat run into the back of us and turned us around and put us out for the day. <laughs> okay, Ted. Well, telling it like it is. But Derek wasn't about to let those kinds of comments go away with a simple aw shucks. <laughs> you think. <laughs> Derek said in this notebook item, he said, first of all, Ted Musgrave is an idiot. Hey, don't hold back, Derek. Okay, Derek. Say what you mean. (laughs) Let her rip. (laughs) He crashed me at Atlanta, planted me for no reason, just plain ignorance, and I didn't say a word to him. You have racing accidents, and then there's always going to be two different theories. Today, he jumped all over the brakes over there. They just stopped, and I couldn't stop the race car. I made a mistake possibly, and took him out. (laughs) We have a difference of opinion here, don't we? 
But for the comment he made, he can kiss my butt. Once I be- again, I Derek. bet he said butt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, Derek, say what you mean. <laughs> but for the comment he made, he can kiss my butt. He can come over and talk to me anytime he wants. Hey, I'm tired of all this whining. Let all those guys win a race before they whine so much. Oh, oh Derek. <laughs> Derek with the slam off the top ropes. <laughs> And then in the scene on the circuit section, the kind of the breaking news section, there was an item about Derek being released by Kel Yarbrough Motorsports. And this item said that rumors had been flying around New Hampshire the week before that Derek would be let go. But according to him, I was the last to know. And that's a little humiliating, but that's business. It's not typical business to get fired in the middle of the year, but that's typical of Kel and his business. It's happened to a lot of them. It happened to Dale Jarrett and Lake Speed, and they've gone on and been very successful. I'm not going to sit around and mope about it. That is a very good attitude to have. Yes, and he wound up, I believe, with Bobby Allison next. I think I think so. Yeah, Yeah, he didn't stay with TW too long, but then he went on and drove for Bobby Allison Motorsports. But he was evidently let go from Kale's team by the crew chief, Ken Glenn. Oh, that's different. Yes, that's a little different. And as you mentioned, Jeremy Mayfield wound up leaving TW's team to go to drive for Kale, and Derek left Kale's team to go to drive for TW. So it was a game of musical chairs in the garage. (laughs) (laughs) And Derek concluded by saying, I really had no clue about getting fired. Kale had not talked to me for probably a month. There is a big hint, don't you think? Yeah. Of what's coming? (laughs) So really, I had no concept. But as you find out, this had been going on there for over a month. Evidently, they just felt like they weren't running as well as they needed to. You have to use somebody as the problem. They changed crew chiefs last year, so it was the driver driver time again. again. (laughs) He probably did me a favor. (laughs) And Steve, as I mentioned in the intro again, I had to smile when I saw the story that I did on Dick Beatty, this was still during my freelance days at Winston Cup saying, I did this story on Dick Beatty, who had a cabin overlooking the town where I was working at the time, Sparta, North Carolina. And Steve, to this day, I can close my eyes and I can see the view because it was on a mountain overlooking the town of Sparta. That was such a beautiful, beautiful view from up there in the mountains. Well, I can remember the pictures of the two of you sitting across from each other. Yeah. Chatting away. And yeah. I believe Dick may have had some chewing tobacco with him. Surely not Dick. <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned the photo. This brought back a lot of memories, not only because of the story that I wrote on Dick, but because of some of the photos that went along with that story that were taken by my buddy, Jamie Reynolds who had kind of tagged along with me and shot some photos of Dick's cabin for this story. And Jamie had actually gone with me to several races. He was my unofficial photographer. (laughs) But Jamie and I met while I was working up in Sparta. He was on the high school basketball team at the time. And I'll never forget, I always gave him a hard time about this, but he didn't get to play a lot. And one game, I don't remember the score, but he got to go in. Went down to the end of the court, got in a fight, Got kicked out of the game. Steve, he was in the game less than 30 seconds. (laughs) Got got into a fight? Got into a fight. So evidently, he enjoyed his seat on the bench. (laughs) But then we wound up going to some races together, and we came off the mountain one time, and we were in my 1976 Chrysler Cordoba (laughs) that had seen its better days many, 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 many years before. (laughs) We came off the mountain, and we started to smell something and stopped, and Steve, my brakes were on fire. (laughs) My brakes were on fire. (laughs) (laughs) So we stopped, and luckily we stopped in a gravel parking lot, and there was a bunch of gravel dust and everything, and we started throwing that on there and got the fire out. That was before cell phones, so we had to walk to a payphone to call his parents and everything, and they came and picked him up, and my stupid butt got back in my car and went on to the race in Charlotte. Oh, you're kidding me. (laughs) You did say stupid butt. (laughs) Steve, I could tell so many stories of my time with Jamie. One time we went to Richmond, and I had gotten a freelance check from Scene, 
And I was so proud of it. I was going to have money to go to the race, and I put it in the bank on Friday afternoon and stopped to get some cash that weekend, and it had not been credited to my account yet. <laughs> so you weren't getting any cash. So I wasn't getting any cash. And on the way back, we stopped in North Wilkesboro to drop off the film at the paper in North Wilkesboro. The gas light was already on. <laughs> Going up the mountain to Sparta was pretty touch and go. The thing is, I'm more worried about the gas gauge, and Jamie's sitting over in the passenger seat, and he hasn't eaten. <laughs> so when we stopped in North Wilkesboro, he actually called his mom and dad, and his mom and dad had pizza waiting on us in Sparta. Well, how about that? And I will never, ever, ever forget that. Now, Jamie did wind up going to work for Tommy Houston in the Bush Series in 1996, and he eventually worked for Larry Hedrick Motorsports, Robert Yates Racing, Penske Racing, and he was actually with Penske Racing when Ryan Newman won the Daytona 500. Good for him. So how about that, Jamie? That's great. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lake Speed. You're listening to the Scene Vault Podcast. Steve, I actually counted our iTunes reviews yesterday, and we right now stand at 92. Oh, boy. Eight more to go, right? Eight more to go, and we'll be giving away some more books. When we get to 100 written reviews on iTunes, we're going to give away copies of every NASCAR-related book I've ever written and every NASCAR-related book that Steve has ever written. I have more total. <laughs> <laughs> However. However, Steve's is obviously better seller. How many printings? Six printings. Six, Six printings. Of the Junior Jackson book. <laughs> so obviously we will be able to find one somewhere to give away, but... When we get to 100 written reviews on iTunes, we will be giving away these books. And, Steve, this week we've gotten some really good ones. BurtonFan2299 says, great for NASCAR history. I've been listening every week since the podcast started in 2018. They actually kept up with when it started. That's a pretty good thing. I would have had to gone back and thought about when we started this. Rick and Steve do a great job with this podcast. I became a NASCAR fan in 2000 and love to hear stories from before I became a fan of the sport. I actually became a fan of the sport after picking up a NASCAR scene newspaper in an airport. Thank you, Rick and Steve, for keeping NASCAR scene going. P.S. Got any good Ward Burton stories? Oh, yes. (laughs) We'll have to filter through them. <laughs> well, I don't know that we want to share any right now because we'll likely have Ward on at some point. Exactly. <laughs> and then also, RaceFan1969, RaceFan1969 says, Memories. Guys, I just found your podcast, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate all the memories you and your show bring. Thank you so much for the work you do. Without you, so much history would be lost. And then finally, we had one entitled Rambo. Wow, what a show. I've got to say that Tony Liberati is a hoot. He definitely made this episode worth listening to. You should have him on more often. Who wrote this? Well, Tony Liberati. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Rambo evidently thought that he did a good job on the podcast. And you know what, Steve? I do too. Well, I had sure, a good time yeah, catching I'm, up with him. I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh, we got another, another uh, letter here. It says, Tony Liberati is good, but Steve Wade is great. Signed? Steve Wade. <laughs> thumb is still hurting. I think I mentioned it last mm-hmm. week. My thumb is still hurting. And it's exactly where I jammed it when I was hitting the punching bag. And that's been... That's been a year ago. Really? Yeah. So I don't know if I've got arthritis setting up or, you know, but I had x-rays and it wasn't broken. But, yeah. That's hard to explain. <laughs>